This is BC Projects Podcast, and today my guest is Shane Gafog, who is an American artist who looks through the lens of humanity at civilizations both past and present, and views times as threads that connect all people. His work is a visual language that is informed by the spiritualism of abstraction and the realism of the old masters. These two ideas are usually seen as separate, but Gufog fuses them seamlessly into works that transcend and become testaments to thoughts that inform us of who we are in the 21st century. Um, Shane, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for yet again putting up with another conversation with me. Um, no, no, no. Oh. I'm today um, I'm at your ranch in yep. Strathmore and we're in your painting studio and uh, we've done many talks but this one is is a new topic and it's on um, based on two paintings uh, with the curator Chintia Pena of an exhibition to be opened um, November uh, excuse me December, December 10th, 10th December 10th in Napoli, Naples, in Italy. Naples, Italy, and, yeah. um, and Italia. It, it was uh, regarding two, I mean, excuse me, two paintings that you created, um, the Bay of Naples 1 and 2, and it was based on um, an American writer who was visiting Naples. Why don't, why don't you okay. tell us about that? Well, this whole thing came about, I don't know, it was two or three years ago in Cintia Pena, and her husband, Renato, came over for dinner, I believe, and they wanted to talk to me about a potential idea. And the idea was that uh, for a show at, at a museum in Naples, and she had this idea that there had been all these American authors who had, a handful of authors who had traveled to Naples, had written about Naples, very famous authors, and so she thought to couple these authors with artists that she knew, that, have, that she's worked with, who have traveled to Naples and spent time in Naples, and assign each of us an American author. So there were six artists that she chose. I was assigned the writer James Fenimore Cooper. Um, he was from the 1800s. He wrote uh, The Last of the Mohicans. Oh, I think it's wonderful. What he's famous for. Great uh, that was made into a film. Anyway, I was assigned a book by him. And he traveled around Europe in the, eight, I think, 1850 or the 1850s. And, like, there's a volume on France. There's a volume on Italy. So I, I kept ordering these books online on Amazon, and they kept sending me the same book on France, not the one on Italy. I ordered the one on Italy. They sent me France three times. Um, so I have three copies because I'm too lazy to send them back. But anyway, I finally was able to download the book on Google. And so it's sitting on my computer, and I started reading it. And it's basically almost like a journal. Mm-hmm of his travels mm -hmm. and he's going around Italy and he's talking about the sites. He's comparing it to America. He's talking about the people that he meets. He's talking about the architecture and quite frankly, I didn't find it all that it's not something enthralling. It's not something I would have, um, 
naturally just picked up and sat down and started reading, you know. But it is a time capsule of Italy in the 1850s. So he talks about Naples. And I kept reading and reading and reading and reading until finally I came across this one, a couple of paragraphs that I thought, that's it. That's my launching pad. So I'll read those paragraphs for you if you don't mind. Yes, please. Okay. So he writes, The Mediterranean, on the other hand, is unusually blue, and its bays and gulfs appear to have a deep, as deep a tint as the open sea. The bay itself was asleep, with its bosom dotted with a thousand boats and crafts of different sizes. The death-like calm that pervaded everything was an exquisite accordance with the character of the entire view. The mountains were dreamy, the air was filled with a drowsy repose, while the different objects of historical interest over which the eye rather lingered than glanced gave the whole the semblance of a physical representation of things past, adorned and relieved by a glorious grouping of so much that is exquisite in the usages of the present. So I read that and I highlighted it and I, I copied and pasted it onto a page and I printed it out and I read it and read it and read it and I pinned it on my studio wall. I thought, okay. And then I started thinking about my experience with Naples. And I remember when I went there in 2012, I think it was. Yeah, your retrospective. Um, and it was my first quote-unquote, museum retrospective mm -hmm. that Chintia organized. And so I remember them giving me a tour of the city. Mm -hmm. And not only a visual tour, but a verbal tour. And they were talking about the different, um, over time, when the Greeks invaded and the Chinese invaded and the Turks invaded and, and the Muslims invaded, um, the Romans invaded, back when Rome and, and Naples and Venice were all their own separate countries. You know, it wasn't under the umbrella of Italy and their cities. They were their own separate countries, basically. You know, it's a weird thing to, to imagine. But so there's this, these layers of history mm -hmm. in that city. And once I was given this information, I started looking at the architecture. And you can see remnants of Greece, ancient Greece. Mm -hmm. And you can see an Asian influence. And you can see a Middle Eastern influence. And you can see the Romans' influence. Um, and it's all there living harmoniously. Mm -hmm. and, and then reading this, um, when he writes about, gave the whole semblance of a physical rep representation of things past, adorned and relieved by a glorious grouping of so much that is exquisite in the usages of the present. And what that said to me was that it's almost an echoing of time. Mm -hmm. So we have different cultures from the past that he's talking about, um, the physical representation of things past, adorned and relieved by a glorious grouping. 
The grouping is the architecture, it's the civilization, it's the culture and society that has been created throughout time. And then I think about the Bay of Naples and the water and the movement of the water and how, and I always think about water as being, you have the surface level, you have the body of water, and then you have the bottom. So you have a foreground, a middle ground, and a background. You have the the present, the past, and potentially the future. Mm -hmm. This trilogy that plays back and forth. And so that's what I decided to address with these paintings. How would I paint the Bay of Naples without painting the Bay of Naples? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. how could I make an image that, that evokes the memories of water, the memories of history. Not an easy task. No, not an easy task. Um, anyway, so I, an idea had been rummaging around in my head for a while that I had spoken to you about with the ocean paintings. Mm -hmm. And so I thought this might be the time to start playing around with that again. And about which, was, which was pattern paintings. These pattern paintings, yeah. And the last time I did this type of pattern painting was 20 years ago. I looked it up. Wow. Sorry about that fly That's buzzing okay. around. That's okay. That sucks. Um, so it was 20 years ago. And I, I kind of walked away from it because it was... I didn't quite know where to take it next, I think. Um, and so I decided to go back into it and I was given a choice of sizes by Cynthia. We are all the artists were given a choice of sizes for mm -hmm. these paintings. And so I chose the biggest one on the list and a medium sized painting. And then I made stretchers and stretched them up and started working. And because of COVID, by the way, this whole thing was postponed by two years or two and a half mm -hmm. years mm -hmm. so she finally got the green light and she'd been telling us that she was working on it but i didn't want to start unless i had the green light that that didn't mean i wasn't thinking about it i was i just didn't want to shift gears um so when i got the green light i went into full motion on it and had the stretcher bars built and the canvas is stretched in one day, a couple of more days to gesso. And then I started building up the surfaces of paint. And then what I did is I took the measurements of the paintings and I divided it by eight. Mm -hmm. um, so that gave me the measurement of a piece of paper that I cut mm -hmm. that would go into each of the canvases eight times. And then I took five quarters and I laid the paper on the ground and I took five quarters and I tossed the quarters in the air and let them fall randomly on the paper. Wow. And I traced their landing. Oh my gosh. And that became the template. Oh my gosh. That's great. And I love the idea of this random chance mm -hmm. that I could then turn into order. Right. Into a patterning. Because mm -hmm. I think nature works that way. Yeah. And I think we organize our world in that way. 
Yeah. Our society is organized. It's always it's always um, chaotic that we make um, order out of. You know, the chaos becomes order. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> I cut these things out, these templates. You know, I use a, a knife and I cut these. And they, they end up becoming these oval shapes just because it's a natural movement of my hand. Um, and so I, I take, I got a little piece of chalk and I measured out where the corner of the template would go. And I started painting these oval shapes on there. And I did them going horizontally and then vertically. And that was one layer. And then I took the template and I reduced the size of it by 20%. And I gridded the the first template and then I gridded the second template and the same uh, measurements. And so I had an exact replica of the first template, but 20% smaller. Mm-hmm. And so then I did a second layer of patterns, mm-hmm. both horizontal and vertical. Mm-hmm. And, and then I did it again, another 20%. Mm-hmm. And I did the patterning again, and then again, and again, and again. And on the big painting, I ended up doing seven templates that go horizontal and vertical. So 14 layers of patterns. Wow. And the last two layers because I figured out that there was 10. So in one mirrored template, there was 10 marks on there, 10 mm-hmm. oval shapes. And that, that was replicated um, X amount of times over the surface, which led to 5,340 marks mm-hmm. going vertically and 5,340 marks going horizontally. Mm-hmm. Now that's just the last two layers. Right. So there was um, 13, 12 other layers underneath that. So the number of markings, I don't know, but what happens is that it creates a visual echo. Yeah, yeah. And then patterns begin to form within patterns within patterns, mm-hmm. um, which is the way nature works, which is the way the subatomic world works. You know, mm-hmm. the reverberation of something creates patterns. Mm-hmm. But let's let's talk about for the listener because they're not seeing these paintings. We're sitting in front of them. There's a large horizontal and then there's a medium sized vertical painting. Mm-hmm. And these are not just a mathematical equation. Um, they are they are rooted in a photograph as well. A series of photographs, yeah. A series yeah. of ph- photographs of the Bay of Naples. Yeah. So let's 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 explore what that photograph looks like for the listener. Well, I I went online, um, good old Google mm-hmm. and you know, just start uh, trying to find some great images of the Bay of Naples and there's a ton of images and, and what I remember versus what I was finding, you know, very similar as your mind works in mysterious ways and mm-hmm. starts compressing your memories and they merge into other memories and they become new memories of which the origins are unknown. But I do remember the hillside and the these amazing buildings going up along the hillside and how they would reflect into the water mm-hmm. um, and the colors. And of course you have Na- Naples yellow. Mm-hmm speaks for itself 
And, but it also represents light and the sunlight to me, the Naples yellow does. So these are, and then, then you have uh, Venetian red, which is another color that's very prominent. Um, and then there's a lot of green, a lot of trees mm -hmm. that are, you know, all throughout. So I actually took one of these images and ran it through Photoshop and I just keep, I kept compressing it and compressing mm -hmm. it until it just became large pixels mm -hmm. so that I didn't have to focus on the, on this image. I could re uh, release the image and focus on the colors mm -hmm. and, and then allow the patterning to take place. And that became the landscape that became the seascape mm -hmm. that I would then um, respond to. Mm -hmm. So you had two, two guides, you had a pattern, yes, and you had a, a visual um, guide reference, yeah, reference, yeah, and then you had yourself, myself, me, myself, and I, your memories, my your, trilogy here, your, yes, your intuition, your, <laughs> you know, your physicality, and um, choosing your color palette, and because you know you mentioned the quarters, but the images on there, they're, they're oval, they're, they're yeah. organic shapes. Not that a quarter isn't organic, of course it is. But, um, and looking at the finished painting, there's a lot of buildup. So yes, there's a lot of glazes that are going on. And as I was layering one set of patterns over another, some images just, some of the markings just disappeared completely. Um, so I'd have to go back in and kind of excavate them back out again. Mm -hmm. And then I started doing um, a glaze with like cascading light mm -hmm. that was going across the surface. Mm -hmm. And and again, I started losing some of the patterns. So so the the synchronicity, the visual synchronicity started kind of getting um, pulled apart. And... I liked it in one sense, another sense it's like, mm, 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 I'm not sure I like that. Um, you know, so it was a real tug of war for the last six weeks mm -hmm. that I've been working on these two paintings. And usually I'll take three months to work on paintings, but due to the time frame, um, I just stopped everything else. Mm -hmm. And as you know, I've been working sometimes 10, 11 hours a day on these paintings. And they've become a real sort of athletic event for me <laughs> to try to. For sure. It's like, oh, well, man. Well, the door's shut and you're in here and it's, you know, you can't really accept calls. You can't accept visitors because you'll get off right. of your, your path. And, I just turned my phone off. I yeah. haven't even been answering my phone. But, but you had to stick to a real strict regime of following the sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I know one time when I was here, I think I distracted you and you had to wipe that whole sequence off and start again. That's right. <laughs> God, Shame see? on me. <laughs> That's right. You were talking to me and I, I completely lost track of where I was on the painting. Yeah. And I made a, a big boo-boo and I had to erase like a two foot by two foot section. I had to get a, a rag with turpentine and wipe it all off. Yes. That was in the beginning. But thankfully it was in the beginning. But for the again for the listener, 
let's describe what they're looking at because to me, okay, I saw Monet water lilies, but Monet water lilies are paint strokes. This this is not patterning, but it just looks like you just kicked Monet's ass. Oh, out of the just out of the museum. That's a bold statement that only you could say. I would never dare say that. But well, that's the way. I have a great affinity for Claude Monet and his his brushstrokes. So. I know you do, but um, but what you did was like, um, you know, four hundred. It was like on you're on steroids. It's a hybrid, <laughs> you know. It's a hybrid of being living here and now. God, there's a psychiatrist out there listening to this, waiting for me to call as their next patient. I'm sure. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, it's a hybrid. It is. It's. You know, I, I had to reach back into my own history mm-hmm. um, to pull it forward into the now. I had to tap into my own memory banks of being in Naples mm-hmm. and being in Italy in general. You know, there's a certain vibe there in, in all of Italy and Venice and mm-hmm. in Naples and Milan. That is not in other parts of Europe, mm-hmm. right? It's The other parts of Europe have a completely different feel. Yeah. Um, and the different look. Okay. And the colors are different. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, and in Naples, the colors are different. But also in Naples, you have what I found so amazing was you got, you know, here's a city that's, I don't know, 2,000 plus years old. And obviously, when the city was built, there was no cars. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no trains. There was no scooters. Mm-hmm. Um, people were, had horses and were primarily walking. Mm-hmm. So the roads um, are very, very, very tiny okay. and narrow. Okay. So the cars are tiny, you know, and there's nowhere to park. Uh, uh-huh. Nobody planned for that 2,000 years ago. Yeah. Um, and you have, you know, imagine building a city 2,000 years ago where it's based on foot traffic. Okay. So you don't want it too spread out because it's you, you're off in the boonies, you know, and you're not going to get anybody visiting you. So you got to make it pretty condensed so that it's, it's uh, user-friendly. Mm-hmm. Well, now there's cars. So being designed for foot traffic is not user-friendly anymore. Mm-hmm. Now it's a burden. Mm-hmm. And so the cars, what I was amazed with is that each, the cars are like an inch apart, bumper to bumper. And they're an inch apart side to side. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I'm just cringing, cringing, watching all these cars and the people and everybody acts as if, you know, they've got to get from point A to point B yesterday because today's too late. Yeah. You know, there's a sense of urgency that they have. It's like, wow, makes LA look like first grade. Oh my God. I'm not kidding. Wow. So, and then you have kids on these little mopeds. Little 12-year-old kids with their five-year-old brother on the back <laughs> weaving through this stuff. Oh, my gosh. Beeping their little horn. It's like, what? <laughs> Are you crazy, man? Now, in L.A., that would cause a massive accident. Yeah. And it would be on the evening news. And yeah. all of, half of L.A. would shut down. Yeah. You know, because of ambulances and helicopters and so on and so forth. 
it doesn't happen there. And I thought, why is this not happening here? Then it occurred to me that L.A., for the most part, very few people are born and raised in L.A. Yeah. Most people migrate there, mm-hmm. right? So you have so many different mindsets coming to L.A. and a different sense of space mm-hmm. and time. Mm-hmm. And so they all drive differently. Yeah, yeah. So there's accidents all the time. Yeah. And Naples, people are born there. They've been born there for generations. Wow. They're all wired the same. Yeah. They can drive the same. Uh-huh. They don't have accidents. Oh, that's, that's, right? that's so fascinating. So those thoughts are going through my mind as well as I was working on these paintings because there's a complexity to these patterns mm-hmm. that are almost hypnotic for sure right for you sure. look at me like your brain has to stop but it but it's tranquil like a monet painting as well right but but there's this there's a synergy happening yeah there's a synergy between the markings and the layers mm-hmm. and that to me is the history of naples yeah in this painting wow. that i wanted to try to capture that's profound and that you had all those different concepts going on at once. And I haven't slept in a month. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, keeping all of that, you know, yeah. as you're painting, okay, I've got to keep that in mind and I've got to keep that in mind and I've it, got to do that. It's in the back in the back part of my brain and it's not something I necessarily want to think about. But I know it's there, and I thought about it in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought about it when I was reading uh, James Fenimore Cooper, mm-hmm. and I thought about his experience versus my experience, mm-hmm. and what the difference was, what the similarities were. And out of that, then you start conjuring up your memory. It's like um, it's like a hard, you know, your your brain is like a hard drive, and you start remembering which folder you put those memories in, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The memories of memories that you start opening up mm-hmm. and the images start floating forward and they don't necessarily have a narrative to them. They're just these floating images. Mm-hmm. And that's what these paintings are. They're musical as well though. Yeah. Like a lot of your paintings. I've been listening to a, a lot working on these um some philip glass because he has those syncopated rhythms you know like the piano starts and then and then a a voice starts and they're echoing each other yeah you know and i was listening to a lot of that Uh um i was listening to um started listening to the composer i just played for you Mm -hmm. um the austrian composer was L I T, I can't remember his name yeah. now. Um, you know, and again, it's it's. There's harmony within the discourse, uh-huh. the the dissidence of sound that's happening. Yeah. Um, and that always appeals to me, always attracts me. But I can only listen to that kind of music while I'm painting for maybe three hours tops, mm-hmm. and then I yeah. feel like I'm about ready to float off the planet. Okay. I need to get grounded again. Yeah. 
So then I would put on like 80s new wave oh, okay. stuff, you know, and, and or Beatles, you know, station oh. or something. And just to ground myself. Um, and then I get bored with that and I'm still painting by myself. And then I think, well, I need to hear some human voices at this point. So then I turn on these these uh, timeline history um, shows on YouTube, you know, and learn about the whole history of Rome or the um, the rise and fall of the Persian Empire. Uh-huh. You know, it's a two-hour documentary that I don't even watch. I just listen to it. Yeah, yeah. But it's like I have a companion in the room with me. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. It's, it's, it's not that the sound... Um, <clears throat> companion is is really guiding you it's just it's a human it's a human existence it's a false human existence because you've been in here for hours and hours on end nine ten hours i'm starting to you know wobble around at that point and i'm getting hungry and i mean i stop and have a quick bite but um when i'm you know i would allow myself 15 minutes to go have lunch mm-hmm. yeah that's it yeah, I understand. You don't, you don't want to get out of your room. No, I, yeah, you don't want to leave that zone. Yeah. Um, um, and so looking at the smaller painting, Yeah. let's talk about the difference between the two. Mm. The smaller one, I was thinking about when he talks about the bay itself was asleep with its bosom dotted with a thousand boats and crafts of different sizes. Very poetic. Yeah, and then he says, you know, and I, you know, I'm sorry I said that it was like his journal, but as a writer, this is what a journal would probably, I assume, look like. Um, the death-like calm that pervaded everything was an, in exquisite accordance with the character of the entire view. Mm-hmm. Now, this is everything and nothing simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Well, what view? We don't know. It's of the bay. Is he describing it other than a death-like calm? No. So it's up to us mm-hmm. to imagine that, what that looks like. Um, and this is a, the 1850s, and people made a living off of fishing mm-hmm. and from little boats. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he says there was hundreds of them, thousands of boats, thousands of boats. So I thought... And they probably all have sails, white sails, right? Dotting the blue. Mm, so that carries into the painting. So well. that painting, yeah. the smaller painting, it's, and here's, here's an interesting thing about both these paintings, which goes back to Monet and his water lilies, which then goes back to the whole Japanese um, art form of where they would take the, the background and bring it forward so that everything was was functioning on the same plane, right? There was no middle ground, foreground, or background. Everything was surface. Okay. Um, and that was had a huge impact on the French Impressionists, which I think allowed Monet to basically paint um, the water lilies and the reflection of the water, the water and the water lilies and the reflection of the cypress trees Mm -hmm. and these weeping willows that were hanging over the water as on the same plane, Mm -hmm. right? He's not, there's no perspective in there. Mm -hmm. 
and that, which is why he flipped out in 1905, and he was supposed to have this major exhibition, mm-hmm. and he realized there was no horizon line. There was no vanishing point. And he, he almost had a nervous breakdown, and he took a knife and destroyed, I think, 40 of those paintings. And it took him another two years to produce another body of work that he could eventually show. Mm-hmm. But cut two, there's a a flatness to these paintings because I've I've taken the idea of perspective and pulled it forward. Yeah, you have. And so you're seeing the background, the middle ground, and the foreground simultaneously yeah. on, on the same picture yeah. plane. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. So then it becomes a conceptual idea. Yeah, it feels very conceptual, but not, but it, but it's it's quite emotional at the same time. Good. Um, there's something about these that are almost like little. Um, what's the word I was looking for? Like a mosaic. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. They're like this um, arabesque. Yeah. Kind of mosaic that's happening, that's sparkling. And and again, you know, Naples had been invaded by the Turks mm-hmm. and, you know, Middle Eastern countries. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a part of the, the history mm-hmm. there. So all of those things were playing into it, you know, and then I, I just become a conduit. You, yeah. But again, for the listener, with the patterns... I want to be really clear. It's not ambiguous. You didn't just walk up and go, okay, I'll just put a pattern here, a pattern there. It was extremely systematic. Yes. It's all been measured out. It's all been measured out. So, again, like you've had to keep a lot of different things in mind. But what is sort of has its own, um, own energy is there's this blue line in the center and it's yeah. on both of them and in the beginning when you were starting to to make the paintings it, it almost looked like a cross right and the cross disappeared and yeah, it, it did because of the and there is a cross in there there's a it's dissected um horizontally and vertically in the middle mm-hmm. and the horizontal a line that dissects it ended up getting blurred because I kept painting glazes as if there's a top and a bottom and there's a reflection of 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 color and light in the water below it. Okay. And so that ended up almost wiping out that middle horizontal line. There's still remnants of it there, but it's not as as strong. Um, and I, you know, I thought about painting it back in somehow but I thought no that's been the natural sort of journey of these paintings and I'm more interested in where they're taking me than where I want to take them yeah yeah because a pattern is is my sort of intellectual um, stamp that I'm putting onto these things you know it's mm-hmm. my own configuration of time and space mm-hmm and then what happens out of that becomes an abstraction. Mm-hmm. And it's the abstraction really that interests me the most. And so I'm setting up a, a moment of chance. Mm-hmm. Just as I, the moment of chance was me throwing those quarters. 
Mm-hmm. And then for a small painting, I used dimes. A quarter I, I found to be too big. Yeah. So I used dimes. I had to go digging through my, my drawer to find change. <laughs> I never have cash on me. I don't, I don't ever... I just don't have cash. I don't have change in my pockets. I, I let that go years ago. It's, um, but, um, so there's that moment of chance. And I was thinking about, you know, Duchamp did that series where he threw those, the, the string down and then traced it. And those became mm-hmm. sculptures. And I was also thinking about the I Ching, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, which I'm sure you you thought about when I said this. Yeah. Um, and that out of, you know, you threw, threw the three pennies three times and each one has a formation which creates a hexagram. Uh-huh. Um, and the hexagram then has a philosophical statement attached to it. Right. Which is, it's always fascinating and I won't go down that rabbit hole, but the hexagram, so it's a moments of chance that create this hexagram. Mm-hmm. It creates order, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a very similar thing happening here. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're sitting here, we're talking, we're looking <laughs> at the paintings, and I want the listener to know. And the viewer's like, what the hell is with this guy? No, I want the viewer or the listener to know that we're not just sitting here looking at these paintings and and chanting, you know, looking at the championship of them. You went through some some battles in creating these paintings. Yes, I did. And you had to figure that out. It just just because you set up a, a score to follow and you had all these, you know, um, notes didn't mean it went to plan. You had a lot to resolve, right? Yeah, a lot. And, and um, oh, even a week ago, I thought, oh, no, I'm not going to pull these off. They're not going to happen. I, I lost the paintings. You know, they started getting muddy on me. Mm-hmm. really muddy mm-hmm. and the sparkle was gone and the um, a way of creating a foreground middle ground and background on a flat plane um, there's a magic there there's a tension there that draws a viewer in and, and pushes the viewer out at the same time and I had it happening at one point about three weeks ago and all of a sudden it just disappeared on me. And I thought, I came in one morning, you know, 7 a.m. I was getting out here at 7 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I came out, you know, and by the way, falling asleep at like 1 or 2 in the morning because I couldn't shut my brain off. Mm-hmm. And I stagger out here with a giant pot of coffee. And I thought, oh, no. I took it too far. It's gone. That magic is gone. That sparkle mm-hmm. is gone. Mm-hmm. How do I get it back? And I realized that I had to finish the direction that I was going in that caused me to lose it um, to get it all on the same playing field mm-hmm. and then go back into it again. And that's when I decided it needed 
another layer of patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, and the patterns will be again 20% smaller. And that was the sixth and seventh layer of patterns. Mm-hmm. And they were so small, these little marks, they're tiny little brush strokes. And it t- I, I started timing myself to make sure I was going to get these things done. Yeah. And so I would work, 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 and do like two square feet and then see how long it took me. Oh, okay. And I thought, oh no, this is going to take three solid days, mm-hmm. 10 hours a day to cover the surface. Mm. So I just buckled up and did it. Yeah. You know? Um, I wasn't happy. I was in a lot of, my back was cringing and tightening up in my neck. And, um, you know, then you start doubting yourself. What the hell was I thinking? I must be crazy. Um, Can I resolve this painting? I don't know. I have to find out. I can't allow this to overwhelm me. Mm-hmm. So it became this this mental um, arm wrestling match I was having with myself, mm-hmm. um, and the painting was an innocent bystander, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, and then I, um, and each of the patterns I start in the very middle, so the corner of the template is at the exact middle of the painting, mm. and they spread out. From there. Um, and once I got four or five of the little sections done, so that would have been 50 little marks on there, and I stood back and looked at it, and I thought, and suddenly those marks were lifting off the mm-hmm. canvas again. Oh, that's good. Oh, wow. That's going to work. Yeah. That does what I was hoping it would do. Um, and then, of course, I went back in mm-hmm. once I got all that done. And then that kind of leveled itself out again. And I thought, no, no, no. So, and I realized the reason why was because the very first layer had completely disappeared. I couldn't see any, I could see ridges of the paint, but I couldn't see any traces of the colors. Mm-hmm. And so then I found the first pattern uh, template and I went back into it again and did it with a really, really, really thin glaze of um, cerulean blues and cobalt blue and did it over the entire surface. And then as it got to towards the top, I went with a, um, a radiant blue mm-hmm. and a uh, Naples yellow light blue, uh, color um, to almost represent the sky and, and the sun that was coming down. And suddenly that added a, another dimension to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last two days, I've literally been standing here with a tiny mm-hmm. little brush mm-hmm. and going back in to all the horizontal small marks, which are 5,340 of them. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I believe you. Um, and I've gone t- and, and painted into each one. Yeah, I know you're doing that today a little bit. Yeah. And we're talking mostly about the larger painting when we talk about yeah. you resolving. The it. small one, because it's a more condensed size, I only did five layers mm-hmm. of, of, of uh, patterns. 
Um, so 10 total because there's five going horizontal, five going uh, vertical. And the last layering, last two layers were very tiny, tiny dots. And again, I was thinking about moments of time with the sunrise, the sunset, midday, and how the water looks mm -hmm. as the sun is reflecting off the water. Yeah, so I wanted yeah. to have all of those elements there simultaneously. Yeah, no, it, it, it really feels like that. It really does. We, we've got about 10 minutes left, and I, I want to ask you some... 10 min more minutes? Oh, I want to ask man. you a, 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 a kind of a more serious question. Uh -oh. um, because this is a question that always I'm thinking about when I talk to somebody like yourself, which isn't very often, <laughs> but anyways, the point, Thankfully for you. the point being is that <laughs> when you were in art school at the famous CalArts, you know, you were challenged by your professors and mentors and things like that that painting is dead. Yeah. And after doing this painting yep. and the past maybe 30 years of your career, I don't know if we're at 30 years, but what does this painting tell you about that statement? Because certainly painting is not dead. Painting is not dead at all. And painting is, um, you know, it's a form of alchemy. And you're taking water and turning it into wine. You're taking hay and turning it into gold. Um, you're taking pigments of the uh, minerals of the earth that have been ground up and, and blended with linseed oil. And you're transforming it into another state of mind, mm -hmm. almost another, um, it becomes a, a consciousness. Mm -hmm. of sorts um, a visualization of a, of a conscious state of mind is what I, I think is what it is and I don't know of any other medium I could use to make these images mm -hmm. I don't uh, you know um, again like I said I listened to Philip Glass a lot working on these paintings and they that music became almost like a a rope that I could it was guiding me mm. along a path mm -hmm. that I was not so familiar with mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. um, but is it the thing itself no no you know the painting is is its own entity Philip Glass's music is its own entity. Mm -hmm. um, a poet's words are their own thing. Mm -hmm. um, but but you just took a person's text. Yes, from, his writings, his thoughts. From you know, eighteen fifty. Almost yeah, from years ago. Yeah, hundred and seventy years ago. And you put in your personal history based on your experience in the city of Naples, uh -huh. at the Bay of Naples, and then you translated that into a very different painting. I mean, you've been doing still point paintings, you've been doing 
uh, rose is a rose is a rose paintings, is superior paintings. Um, and they're all very, very different. And, and also I'm looking at the, the painting that you made that is basically the re remnants of the pattern that you smeared like to, to clean your brush. To, you did this, to clean the template. To clean the template. Yeah. You created this incredible sort of watercolor painting, which I'll take a photo of. So again, like you created a whole new dialogue for yourself and the viewer. It's, it's not like you just went and created a painting that you always paint. This was a real um, exercise mm -hmm. on on multiple levels. Yeah, it was it was um, it was a it was a real challenge for me. Um, you know, and I enjoy a challenge. I um, it's not always easy to step out of your comfort zone, mm -hmm. and to you know, thankfully, I do have a sort of a bag of tools, a toolkit, you know, mm -hmm. of my own painting chops that I can rely on. Mm -hmm. um, if I didn't know how to paint the way I do, if I didn't understand the, mm, the alchemy that's involved with painting, then I wouldn't have been able to pull this off. Mm -hmm. I would have abandoned ship about a month ago mm -hmm. but because I do know you know and I told you at the beginning what I was thinking I was talking about these glazes and the mm -hmm. light that would be cascading down from from the atmosphere and then reflecting into the water and so on and so mm -hmm. forth and there's there's remnants of that in these paintings mm -hmm. but it's not about that no you know, it's and, a different language again. Yeah, that you've made through paint, and and, the, and I think a musician might look at the painting and, and create a different musical score that has nothing to do with Philip Glass. Right, they might. Yeah, and a colorist might look at the painting and and see something completely different. Uh -huh. People from different countries, where they have different languages, where they speak differently, may see the painting, and again have it another interpretation um it's scientists may look at it because and have another interpretation based on I the was, patterning that they I, I tell you i was watching a thing on um nova the other night on pbs about neutri neutrinos and you know that these these there's three types of neutrinos they think and they derive from the sun and they come hurling out when this, there's a sun flare and these things are subatomic and they actually travel through the earth and space and time doesn't exist for these little things. Mm -hmm. And they figured out ways to measure them to, so they, they know that they're there and they've actually figured out ways to photograph them. Mm. They're subatomic, oh you my know, gosh. and I'm watching this, this, uh, science program and it's like, Oh, there are my paintings. What? <laughs> what? Well, they do look like a code. Right. I mean, not like not just. I mean, but, and you there don't was... even know. You don't even know how it came out. But no. You've just been a translator. Right. Of this code. I'm a conduit. Yeah, conduit. You know, I mean, these things are just. I. 
you know, it's like when I first started doing these ribbon paintings, I thought, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. And people are like, why are you doing this? And I said, I don't know. But the need to do it is greater than the need not to. Yeah. So I have to honor that need and and allow it to take me where it needs to go. And then hopefully I'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. And I did, but it took time, mm-hmm. you know, until I was finally able to articulate. Mm-hmm. Why am I making these paintings? Um, and that's its own skill set. Being able to use language to to decipher the abstract. Mm-hmm. That's no easy task. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you talk about abstraction? How do you talk about uh, the invisible? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's invisible. Yeah. What else are you going to say? Yeah. But there's a way to do it. And, and I think that um, painting is... It's a pure... And same with music, you know, they're both, they're very pure expressions of, that div, that go beyond language, that they are a language themselves, and that we as humans are just the receivers of this language that only through life's experiences can we understand and decipher Mm-hmm. what this language is. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Hence yeah. the difference of cultures and so on and so forth. People are going to decipher it differently. Mm-hmm. That is, yeah, that's what I was trying to say. Um, yeah, it'll be really interesting. And and then you have this vibration, you People know. People are throwing it, eggs at me. And no, no. And then you have, you know, once it goes up in the museum and people come to the exhibition and they see it, then the painting has a life of its own. And then, because I'm a real believer in this truth, you know, that goes through the artists and through their veins and, you know, pumping through their blood and then this outpouring of... Mm. Um, expression and consciousness and spirit and then when the viewer comes and looks at it they take all that in too mm-hmm. so I, th- I think it's incredibly um, fascinating and inspiring yeah thank you I do too um, and I hope that that does translate everything that we've spoken of, you know, it makes, it's easy to, to talk to you about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been, I think you, you took notes, thankfully. I started this September 12th, was it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that's a pretty short period of time for me to yeah. make these paintings. We're on October 26th today. Yeah, so, so it's a month and a half. But it's been like every day. Seven days a week. Seven days a week. Um, ten yes. hour days and focus. And um, it's been a lot. I've not seen you labor over a painting like this. These paintings. <laughs> I've not seen it. Of all that, you know, I've been with you in the studio since 2014. And I've not seen you this much 
saturated and just engulfed consumed um i mean i see you do that but not to this extent yeah i i i didn't have a choice because you were on a time you were on a time crunch i was on a time crunch but the paintings dry yeah and i you know i mean today was my cutoff for painting yeah um and i was out here you know eight o'clock and I painted until right when you got here, which was one thirty. Yeah, one thirty. And I thought I was just going to come out and sit and look at it, mm-hmm. just to make sure mm-hmm. it was finished. And I stood and looked at it. I thought, oh no! I started seeing all kinds of things, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I had to get the brushes out and clean them off and go back into it again. I thought, wow! I wasn't expecting this. Um, but, you know, and, and I tell you, for the first two hours this morning, no music. Yeah, yeah. Nothing. Yeah, you need to just be clear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had the phone, you know, I kept my phone off, um, mm-hmm. no music. I wanted to hear my my breath. Mm-hmm. I wanted to hear my footsteps mm-hmm. as I was pacing back and forth. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be really present. Yeah, really deep in it. Yeah. Yeah. So today was my cutoff day, and it's done. Um, tomorrow, a friend's coming to help me photograph it. Uh-huh. And then I'll do one final uh, like varnishing on it, glazing on it, and just to even out the hot spots. And, and then it will, I've got the heater on in the studio, so it'll dry. Mm-hmm. Next Monday, everything gets unstretched, rolled onto a sauna tube, slid into another tube. Mm-hmm. And shipped off. Fantastic. Thank you so much for um, thank you sharing this and <laughs> I'm and hungry. The experience. And um, I, th- I we'll, think we'll it's time talk, to eat. Yeah, I know. But we'll talk again once it once it goes to Italy and after the exhibition. Yes, I'm. And the the um, let's see. It's on. I'm going to pull this up. Where it is, actually. Um, of course, I don't remember anything. I don't remember where anything is, and that's okay because that's just the way I am. Yeah, that's all right. Um, let's see here. Gallery. Okay. It is going to be opening up December 10th at the Royal Palace of Port- Portici and the Museum of... Boy, oh boy, I wish I could just say this like roll off my tongue, Herculeanium. In Naples, Italy. In Naples, Italy, yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful architectural structure there. Um, So December 10th. I'm not sure how long it's up for, and um, but I'm really looking forward to going and just being in a different culture. Yeah, and you're going to do some lecturing there too. Yeah, I'm going to lecture, um, and I'm also going to be meeting with a couple of other uh, museum directors from other museums about other projects, which mm-hmm. we'll discuss at a later date. Yeah. But they're all very, very exciting, and I'm really looking forward to having some smoked mozzarella. <laughs> it is divine. Okay. It's just like, what? What? Why isn't this in the United States? I mean, it just, it's okay. amazing. 
that and some really great pizza from Napoli, Aww. which is where it originated from. Oh, yeah. that sounds so, so good. I'm looking forward to it. All right, great. Well, thank Alrighty. you. Thank, thank you, you so much. Ciao. Ciao.